Thank you for joining us for Friends and Followers, a podcast brought to you by the Seton Shrine, where stories of those who were inspired by Mother Seton's life and mission are shared. It is our hope that you might find inspiration as well, and a deeper understanding about who Elizabeth Ann Seton is. And you can subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes. We hope that you enjoyed them. Thank you. Hello, everybody. It is a Tuesday at the Feet <laughs> Shrine. Um, the spring weather is definitely coming in. And I wish that we could sometimes take this podcast recording outside. Yeah. But then probably all the bees and the birds would be um, kind of a little yeah. bit uh, intrusive <laughs> to our sound. So yeah. we are hoping that our sound continues to do well. Yeah. Um, so, Lisa, where are we? So what are we going to talk about today? So we're going to talk about, I had th- we wanted to talk about Antonio Felici. Ooh. <laughs> so Antonio was, um, him and his brother, Filippo, were instrumental in Elizabeth becoming Catholic. I mean, really, it, it wouldn't have happened without them, I don't yeah. think. Um, but well, I'm going to let you take this one on because I do know that there's a lot of misconceptions right. in regards to Antonio. Yeah. And Elizabeth Ann Seaton. Yeah. And I think the biggest one is the relationship. Yeah. So um, let's get to the juicy parts here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, people think by reading her own grandson, Robert Seaton, thought by reading her letters that there was a relationship there beyond just being a friendship, beyond just being someone that was counseling her on the Catholic faith. Um, because actually, when you look at the two brothers, Lipo actually did more of that. Really, he, mm-hmm. he gave her more instruction, I think. He seemed um, a little bit more of a stricter gentleman. Like, he's a little stiff. Yeah. He's very business-minded. Yeah. yeah, he's Where very interesting. Where Antonio, I think, showed a friendlier side and compassion and genuine interest. Where... Filippo, I, I always thought that when I wrote up on him, he, he was just trying to hit this agenda yeah. and make sure that she was in right in front of the right people and moving in the right direction. Because yeah, I think the he was, reason uh, that they took so much interest in Elizabeth is, correct me if I'm wrong, but they here they are. They are in Italy, mm-hmm. and they are very influenced in the Catholic Church yes, in Europe. Very much. And they have been for decades trying to bring in the Catholic influence to the US. And now they see a way in to some extent to Elizabeth, right? Right. Okay. So, so I may um, be jumping ahead. I apologize. Well, but this is I told you. Yeah. Right? I told you. I'm going to be excited because I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, because what's interesting is when you bring up the brothers, when you bring up the Fleeky, and I'm going to include their wives, when you bring mm-hmm. up those those two couples people gravitate towards Antonio thinking oh there was something there but then when you really start breaking it down and looking at it um, I don't think it's what people thought it was when people think you know here her husband just died and all of a sudden she's infatuated with this man and um, and what were her thoughts some people have looked at her letters and thought that maybe she wanted him for a husband or maybe she had a romantic interest in him and I don't think that's the case um, I don't know. Sorry to burst the bubble. <laughs> well, it should be a good thing that that's not the case. <laughs> I'm just thinking like one of those steamy romance novels. 
Yeah. And, um, but, you know, it's interesting now that we're getting sidetracked here because I do think maybe Elizabeth was aware of that. Remember, they there was a book published or an article published, what, in 1817, something, somewhere in there, the divine Mrs. Seaton or Mrs. S or whatever. Oh, yeah. And she was very worried because mm -hmm. it was supposed to be about her time in Italy. Mm -hmm. So I think she was aware that people could misinterpret yeah. um, her relationship. Yeah. No, we have him. not read that book, but no. we did read a letter that Catherine wrote to her mother saying that she herself had read the book, could have got published pretty right. much against Elizabeth's right. will, you know, or her permission. Yeah. And, but Catherine reassured her mother that there was nothing in there that right. was incriminating, right. I guess, to yeah, her we have character. A, we have a copy of it yeah. here. We do have a copy of it, but yeah. I just haven't um, had a chance to read it. It isn't. There's not really anything in it. Um, I think she was a little worried how things might look. Um, well, but, perception. There's always right. worries about perception. Nowadays. Yeah. And, and we've talked about the Felikis in the sense that her husband, William, had been to Italy, he had done internships with them. They were very devout Catholics. And they had this relationship with the Seton Maitland Company because very few companies at the docks would um, take Catholics, would take their merchandise. Well, yeah, would they wouldn't have, do business with Catholics. Right. Um, so they had this great relationship. And Elizabeth would have certainly known of them. Um, her husband, William, ends up getting two of her brothers to do internships with them. Um, so she was aware of who they were. Yeah. She doesn't meet them until she's in Italy. Italy. And her um, husband died, and she's living with them now. Right. So what's interesting, though, as part of the bankruptcy, the Setons did owe money to the Felikis. It's It was about what would be the equivalent of about $140,000 today. Um, and it was a bookkeeping error. It wasn't William's error. Um, and they had prepaid for merchandise, but then... Seton Maitland charged them again, so they double charged them. Um, the Felikis paid it without realizing it and then wanted their money back. So as far as the debts, they were listed, but that did not keep them from inviting William and Elizabeth to come to Italy in hopes that he would recover from his sickness. Well, it certainly didn't keep them from maintaining a lifelong friendship with Mother Seton and her children. Correct. I mean, they stay Correct. very much involved in her life from right. time to time. Although, I will say that Mother Seton never hesitated to scold Antonio when it was warranted. So remember, I think there was like two times in her life where she just was not hearing from him. And she was pretty upset about it. Like, I have not heard from you. You're not writing me back or something to that effect. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's clear up some, okay. some issues here. So, <laughs> you know, when you don't know, when you just hear about the brothers, you think that when they arrived at the dock, the Felikis were all there welcoming them. And of course they get sent to the quarantine. The only one that was there was Filippo's wife. And, and to what you said earlier, Filippo was a, a strong businessman. He was a devout Catholic. He actually is um, what we would say an ambassador for Italy, for the United States, George mm -hmm. Washington had recommended him. So he was, he knew all the political figures. He was very, very um, business-like, strict personality, I guess you could say. But it's his wife, who also was an American and came from a very um, devout Catholic family, um, who greets Elizabeth and her husband. She, she goes to the quarantine with them. She has a doctor start to see William. She's bringing them things. And in all this time, though, William's in the quarantine, 
he doesn't see either one of the brothers. It's not until he comes to um, Filippo's home after he's released mm -hmm. that he sees Filippo. Um, Elizabeth still has not met Antonio. So we're at the end of December and she does not meet him until they take William's body to Leghorn. Mm -hmm. And she ends up staying with him and his wife. Mm -hmm. And that's where she meets him. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting about that time is that Elizabeth is in Italy from the, from that time until the beginning of April, right after Easter. Mm -hmm. um, we don't hear a lot about how much she was interacting with them. We know that, that she goes with the wives to Florence and to all these other places. But yet both the brothers see something in Elizabeth, so much so that by February 2nd, Filippo's writing Bishop Carroll, encouraging him to directly write Elizabeth to join the church. So there was something that they um, saw in her. So it's, I wish I had that, that their thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, but we don't have it. Okay. So they're writing they start writing when she's in Florence by mid March, she's now calling Antonio, my brother. And, um, I look forward to hearing from you and you've made this trip more bearable and all those kinds of things. So was there a crush? Was there a connection? Yeah. I mean, I think there was definitely a connection, like I said, in the friendship. And, um, I think that, again, in the little bit of the I read, it seems like she could talk to him, relate to Antonio much easier than she could with Filippo. Like, she oh, yeah. did see Filippo as a little bit, again, on a stricter side, a little bit, you know, hard around the edges where Antonio appeared to be a little bit more softer and more, again, more welcoming, more compassionate. More charming. And more charming. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's easy to, again, um, being outsiders looking in, you know, yeah. like, ooh, I'm wondering something's going on yeah. here. And it's, and it's interesting because it seems like Filippo was the one that was running their business, mm -hmm. that he was the one doing all the work, where Antonio was kind of the, the charming Host. You know, host, you yeah. know, um, Filippo and his wife don't have any children. Antonio and his wife have 10. So there's a lot going on in his life. Was he aware that Elizabeth like had this connection? You know, we don't really know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure he was. I think he was this guy that was kind of in his own head. Maybe he was aware of how charming he was. Who knows? Yeah. Um, he does escort Elizabeth back to mm -hmm. the United States and he encourages, you now he takes over writing Bishop Carroll, encouraging him, including Elizabeth's letters in that he's sent to America by his brother mm -hmm. to basically make connections. Mm -hmm. And so he's traveling the United States. He's, he even goes into Canada. So in the year of 1804, she's writing him, mm -hmm. you know, quite a bit. Quite a bit yeah. And he is responding mm -hmm. with letters and it is my sister, my brother, and you know, he's, he's fighting for her to mm -hmm. become Catholic. Yeah. Um, so she is, she's so holding like, on to him. Really. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds to me though, that it was in the early years after her husband's death, as he is in discernment, getting closer to conversion, that she does depend on Antonio. Um, for a number of reasons yeah, regarding the Catholic faith and the direction. But again, I think it plays back into 
again, the Fuliki as a pair, the whole family, they had an agenda. And Elizabeth was playing into their agenda. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And she's she starts, the other problem I think people see is that she's starting to ask him for advice for everything. Where should I send my kids to school? Where should I live as a Catholic? Should I go to Canada? Should I go to Baltimore? What should I do? And so she's, she's looking for him to help her with those answers. Um, he becomes part of the subscription. Um, after Elizabeth's husband died, people, which was customary at that time, would pledge to pay the widow so much money per year. Um, the Feliki brothers pledged to give her $400 a year, which is close to $9,000 today. Um, and he also kind of um, tells the bank, like whatever she needs, um, that she can take money. Now, as far as we know, she never abused that. She never yeah. did that. So um, she did take his subscription, but that was something that was very customary to do, especially in the upper class. <laughs> Excuse me, when you had a widow. Um, yeah. Well, I I was thinking though, like if even if you look beyond the Fulikis and all the way up until Elizabeth has seen play, um, it appears that she has no problem taking money from individuals that supported her. So I I'm thinking, not to get into this topic, but if you looked at Elizabeth today, she was a philanthropist. Mm -hmm. Like she knew how to work the angles to get the support and needs fulfilled um, for the greater good, for the common good. It wasn't, like you said, she wasn't abusing it. It wasn't greed. It wasn't for her taking herself. It was applied to what would help the community, what will help society right. keep moving forward with that. So. Yeah, and you think that, um, you think, wow, that's really nice that she had these friends give this money and, and $9,000 sounds like a lot, but all of it totaled to about 28,000. So it wasn't a lot. It was enough to help her pay for food for her children and um, a small apartment, but it wasn't a lot, but this was, it was something that was very kind. So Elizabeth, um, I feel, and I can relate to this where she had, when, when she didn't hear from people, I think, especially during this time, I think it was something with the way her her life went and how she grew up. Maybe it was her relationship with her father. I don't know. But if she didn't hear from people, she assumed that she had upset them or she yeah. had done something wrong. And we mm -hmm. see that in 1805. She writes um, Filippo. Mm -hmm. And she says, my dear Filippi, I find from Antonio's letter you expected to hear from me. From you not answering my first letter, I concluded that you were too much dissatisfied with me, and I had forfeited our friendship. Okay. So, well, I, thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> so I I always had I don't know I thought I read it or just presumed that she gets a little you know antsy as well as annoyed and frustrated when she doesn't hear back from somebody and. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one way to look at to it. scold them, be like, I, know, I haven't heard from you for a while. Right. Yeah, and that it could have been that. Mm -hmm. I looked at it like she thought she did something wrong because she wasn't sure of herself as, as I mean, she's a few months before becoming Catholic, but she it's a whole world that she's very confused about in that whole year of 1804 mm -hmm. 
you know, she has, as we've talked about before, having family members saying, I'll tell you what's best for you. Yeah. And she's torn, you know, so then all of a sudden having someone that uh, just a year prior had been so supportive of her and now she's not hearing from them, probably because he's very busy mm-hmm. with 10 children and a business to run, but she sees it as you must be dissatisfied with me, yeah. you know? And mm-hmm. so, yeah. And um, so I think that, I think Elizabeth gets better about that as time moves on, but I do think she was on shaky ground mm-hmm. in that year. Yeah. Know? And and she's a new widow and she has five children and now everything is on her. Yeah. So You're think, uncharted territory. Right. right. So um so as you said, you know, the Buliki did play a pretty instrumental part in her conversion and her growing in her faith um, as a Catholic within the Catholic Church, they put her in front of other things. Um, how how did Antonia really stay involved in their friendship for the remaining part of their life? And do we, especially towards the end when she was getting sick, was there anything that you found in your research? Because I feel like I've only concentrated on the very early years. So I don't know, like when she's in Emmitsburg, how did well, that relationship so I think that that's another um, misconception that happened. So they're writing back and forth all the way up until 1808. And she needs money to come here. So she even proposes to Antonio, why don't you buy the property? And then you oh, can wow. have control over it. And it will wow. always remain in your family. And he does, doesn't want to do that. Um, but he does tell her, you can draw a, you know, $1,000 from the bank. Um, take what you need. I, I don't mind. And so, but what's interesting to me is that's 1808. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a embargo, embargo that's going on and she can't get letters. She's not receiving any letters from him. She's not mm-hmm. sure her letters are going to him. Okay. And I think it's interesting that that happens just as she's going to Baltimore. Yeah. So she's now kind of on her own as wow. far as being forced to kind of make decisions. So she has Bishop Carroll, she has all these other people, but she's not hearing too much from the Felikis because of this embargo. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of times when people that had been in Italy come back and they bring a note from Filippo, <coughs> but nothing from Antonia. So for, this goes on for quite a while and mm-hmm. all the way up until when she's sending William there, that's why she didn't let well, him know ahead of time. Right. <laughs> you know, she yeah. writes a letter and she's like, hope this gets to you. you yeah. Know? And so if you're interested, we did do a podcast on her son, William yeah. and his whole journey. So yeah. if you're kind of curious of what that story is about, um, please visit, you know, our episodes on Fetch and Followers to hear that portion of William's story journey to Europe yeah. without any... Um, anybody expecting him on the other end of the ocean. Right, right. And, and she's so. worried about what's going to happen and what mm-hmm. they're going to say because she's heard nothing now for six years. Yeah. Wow, and, okay. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, it's not until October of 1815, mm-hmm. now almost seven years. So she has sent William, she sends him there in 1814, and he's writing back saying, everything's good. They're, like, taking care of me. But she doesn't hear from them. And it's not until almost a year later in October of 1815 that she hears from Filippo that, okay, everything's good. We're taking care of this and, you know, we're taking care of your son. Um, But, I mean, she's starting to get worried because now it's April of 1816. 
-hmm. And that's the year that um, Filippo dies. She still has not heard from uh, Antonio or Why his wife. Why that? We don't know. Like, you don't know? Like, even no. to this day, you have no idea. No. Like, he, he just didn't write. Didn't so okay. was he busy with his children? She sees it as a slight. She sees it as, well, I must not be doing a good job. Okay, Lisa, please don't hate me for saying this. Yeah. But going back to the juicy part, <laughs> do you think that maybe Antonio did have feelings towards her and he had to cut off that relationship and just separate himself from her. So that's why she never heard from him. It's a again. possibility. I'm just wondering. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a possibility because, yeah, not that we want to go down this road, but, but in a marriage, if you get to a point where you start to have feelings for someone else or spending too much time with someone else, you need to check yourself, mm -hmm. you know? And I think maybe, maybe Elizabeth did that. I don't think so though. I had always thought that, because she wasn't writing him as much, but now knowing that there was the embargo, I think it might have been more Antonio that checked himself. Like, and maybe and thought, as well with the embargo, like right. there's all these factors. I'm just curious. And I mean, time, like I said, you know, we all sometimes love that Jamie Romance novel, not to again put any shade on Elizabeth at all. I yeah. really, I really do think that. No, I think her infatuation, if there was any, mm -hmm. happened because she had just lost her husband. She has no money. Mm -hmm. She has no means to support herself or her children. And she has this whole extra layer of desiring to become Catholic. Mm -hmm. And everybody in her previous world, mm -hmm. when her husband was still alive, is advising her not to. Right. And in, she is living in an era still where men did predominantly take care of the wives, the females of society, the children. You know, they made the decision. They were the breadwinner. They, yeah. So, and they were, and the Feliki collectively put themselves in a position willing to do that. Right. Yeah, and so she doesn't hear from him until William comes home and brings a letter. So this oh, okay. is not until March of 1817. So at this part, it's been nine years wow. since she has heard anything directly from him. So and then if going back to the theory that it must be the embargo because it's William that brings the letter. Yeah, except that not she was getting service. some letters from Filippo before he died oh, in, in okay. August of 1816. That's true. Now, Again, to Again, your theory, theory. <laughs> maybe he just didn't want to get back involved with her. Maybe having 10 children, his brother has now died. He has to take over the business. Maybe he was just too busy. Okay. Uh, but of course she sees it. She has that anxiousness of, well, why aren't you writing me? What have I done to upset you? Like, right now I had this anxiousness because I didn't realize that she finally did get a letter back from him. I thought you were right. saying that there was never another correspondence right. from Antonio for the remaining no, period and of her she life. starts to hear. Okay, from so him, what did the letter say? Um, it, it's just talking about their children, like and and mm -hmm. um, now Richard wants to go to Italy, so okay. he's talking about how pleased he was with William, but he doesn't have that business sense. Mm -hmm. and William didn't want to do that, and now yeah. Richard's on his way there. That's going to become a much bigger problem, as we know. Um, yeah. So he's keeping it very, you know, there's nothing very platonic, very yeah. business. Friends. Yeah. yeah. And she's had to be on her own now for nine years. She's learned, as we know, by this time, 1817, that um, the Sisters of Charity are pretty well established. Mm -hmm. They've become, uh, isn't that around the same year, they petitioned to the state of Maryland to basically become their own kind of 
entity, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, and she's starting to feel sick, and all of these things right. are happening. She's tiring. Yeah. Um, she does rate him, um, and then she says, "My dear Antonio, this then is the earthly fruits of your goodness and patience with us these twenty years, but happily." all is written in heaven. And she ends it with, the reason I'm writing you is I received last sacrament three weeks ago, ever yours and God's Elizabeth. And that was in October of 1820. So she pretty much realizes that'll be the last letter yeah. that she writes to him. She kind of think about it. Yeah. Oh, well, and then she think, I will see you in heaven. Yeah. And we know that she did that for, for many people. Mm -hmm. um, well, her last will and testament came into play in November of 1820. I mean, yeah. she, would, she was readily accepting and expecting her upcoming death. Yeah, I mean, um, there was something that um, um, was written, um, I think it was by Sister Judy, that she takes from a letter that Elizabeth wrote in 1816, so she's still not hearing from Antonio at this part, remember. Mm -hmm. But she says to him, um, well, Sister Judy says, the friendship was not free of comment, and its nature was frequently challenged. Even as late as April of 1816, Elizabeth wrote to Antonio that people still think that you have bought me. A reproach which can only make you smile at their thinking you ever so zealous. So wow. she was aware of what people, the rumors, yeah, I agree with you, you know, and about keeping things in check. Because I think that when there's genuine friendship, genuine respect for someone, um, it is harder when you are of opposite sex. You know, it's much easier for two females to have that same kind of genuine, intimate friendship. And I, and I mean intimate in the sense of they're they're willing to share everything that's going right. on in their thoughts and their hearts. And, but when you do it with a, a gentleman, it just, it, the perception can be misconstrued, even though there is a genuine friendship there. Right. And people like to judge other people. Right, and exactly. I think um, she was aware of that, but yeah. I mean, she did make him part of her life. Like her children, when she would get a letter from him, even mm -hmm. when her children were really young in 1805, they looked forward to the letters. They, yeah. And they didn't even know him. I mean, they wouldn't meet him until years later. Yeah. Um, so it's easy for people to judge that. But that's, again, another thing that makes Elizabeth more relatable. And you also see how she had growth in that. Because mm -hmm. we know by time she's dying, she is focused more on not having those friendships that are giving her advice or making mm -hmm. decisions. She's trying to only turn to God. Okay. You know, where in 1804, she needed a, a strong advisor, mm -hmm. and that became Antonio. Yeah. You know, and I think they clicked, I think, more so than Filippo. I think that they just had this, you know, when he's calling her my beloved sister and, you know, and stuff. But oh, Great. Well, thank you so much for bringing up Antonio and the Felicis and yeah. how that relationship was with Elizabeth, that friendship. Yeah. So. I think people are too hard on her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a good conversation. It was a good topic. So yeah. We hope that you guys enjoy it, too. Yeah. So next we're going to do Anne O'Neill, which will be... Ooh. Yeah, we're at that halfway point, right, of our year episode. Yeah. I think so. 
Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Anne O'Neill would be interesting. Yeah. So you got to listen to that one. Yeah. It was a good conversation. It was a good conversation. Yeah. One of the few miracles that I know that are still living. <laughs> living. I know. Exactly. So, okay. Alrighty. Well, thank you. Thank you.